What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. And if you are a regular enjoyer of Gear 30, then please show us your true gear nerd status by leaving us that five-star rating in Apple Podcasts so that we can keep the gear nerdery coming. And full disclosure, we actually don't think this is just stuff that you have to be a nerd to appreciate. We truly think that the type of information that we are going to be talking about today really matters. And we want to keep making this type of information available to you. So if you agree that this matters, then take just a minute to show us your support and we'll keep doing what we're doing. Now, that said... If you would also enjoy hearing the kind of information that matters a whole lot less than the stuff we're going to be talking about today, but that is still really fun, then you should be sure to check out part one of our Bikes versus Skis conversation, which has taken place over on our Bikes and Big Ideas podcast feed. Bikes versus Skis. If you don't know what that is, you should definitely check it out. And if you do already know what that is, then you know you already kind of want to check it out. All right, today we are continuing our series on the current state of helmet tech and R&D, and our guest is Steve Belfay from Pret Helmets. Among other things in this conversation, Steve and I discuss the penetration test or the DART test that is a part of the safety certification process. Steve also explains why Pret places such an importance or emphasis on ventilation. We also talk about the customization of helmet liners. After all, we customize ski boot liners all the time, so why not helmet liners too? Those are just some of the things that Steve and I get into in this conversation, and I am confident that you are going to learn some new things in this conversation once again. And so, let's get to it. Well, Steve, how are you today and where are you today? I'm doing great. I'm in Park City, Utah, where Pred is based. Uh, we've had some rain over the last couple of days, which is a total welcome given the, the drought conditions out here. So it'll improve the mountain bike trails and uh, hopefully hold off fire season a little bit longer. Absolutely. A much less important factor, we've just had yesterday was a big, big rain day here in Crested Butte. This is when I always like go move my car and park it like outside of my house because it's like the car wash. This Free is, car wash, yeah. I get so it. Yep. I, um, I shouldn't probably admit that, but that's definitely how <laughs> it works. Well, hey, I'm looking forward to this conversation and let's just get going here. I think the first thing I want to ask you is just if you could tell us what your role at Pret is. Well, I'm the uh, president and CEO of the company. We're a small company, so it means everything. You know, I'm, we're kind of involved in everything, and most of the crew is. Um, so it's everything from working with. We use a third-party accounting firm. We uh, we have a design crew that's that's uh, not employees of Pret, but they're an ex- we have an exclusive agreement, so we work with them, and our team works with them on the design and development of product. Uh, you know, I take the trash out and, you know, uh, pay bills and, and do a little bit of everything, but really, you know, I came on board, uh, in 17 had been, uh, 
involved a little bit with the company and and and, and had been an investor um, prior to that, and uh, came over from the bike world. And uh, the goal is to bring Pret up to the next level, continue its growth, and move into potentially some other categories as well. You've got a pretty extensive background in the outdoor industry. If I asked you to go into detail on that, I think we'd be here for like the next hour. But <laughs> can you run us through a bit? Like, when did maybe you first start working in the outdoor industry and maybe tick off some of the different positions you've held? Yeah, out of uh, college, I, I started bike racing in college, and but also was working to pay for college at a, a, a very good ski bike retailer in New England, uh, a little bit bigger of a ski shop at that time, and did retail pretty much everything, managing service department to store manager and purchasing for um, for retail. Then became a rep for a bicycle company, Diamondback, um, and then have uh, moved out west to do product development, and then kind of got back on sales service, and ultimately. Uh, we were bought by a couple times and ended up with a Dutch company called Excel Group that owns uh, multiple brands, probably the size of Trek Specialized, but owns it in multiple brands, Raleigh, Diamondback, Ghost, LaPierre, High Bike, E-Bikes, iZip, Spatava, uh, Bar- uh, well, I'll spit that out again, um, Sparta, Batavis, Koga, Van Nicholas. So lots of brands, was also going to Asia quite a bit, overseeing supply chain and planning before coming over to Park City. So seeing about, about everything in the industry, other than maybe calling up and doing collections, you know, with uh, the finance department. <laughs> well, congrats on avoiding that gig. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's talk about the backstory of Pret a bit. Pret is the youngest helmet company that we're going to be talking to in this series. And so to me, I thought that was just kind of interesting. You know, kind of the question of like, in this day and age, how does one go about starting up a helmet company? And, you know, why would you even try to break into this space? What did Pret see as the opportunity here? Well, I think going back, we're, although we're new, it's still uh, over 10 years. Yeah. So the company was incorporated back in 2010. The ideas came up a little before. If we go back in time there, ski helmets were gaining popularity, but they were still relatively new. It was still people wearing hats and and uh, it wasn't. And it was started by a group of enthusiasts from the outdoor industry that had experience in a lot of areas and just thought, much like um, Stola might have mentioned in the, in the beginning of Sweet, is I think we can be, build a you know, better mousetrap. I think at that time, you know, the products were heavy, bulky, hot, not with a great fit. and and uh, But there was a need to have them. I think the people understood that, yeah. that helmets were important, but we could do it. There's some better designs to go out there. And so that's what was the focus of it. They're all, everybody was a core skier and just wanted, it was a product focused. We can do this and we should try to give it a shot and do that. And so that's what, you know, drove the, the start of prep. Got it. And then- how would you say things have evolved off of that initial kind of vision and mission? I mean, if you said it hasn't, it's exactly the same kind of mission and vision, but I'd be curious to hear you talk about, you know, what to you seem to be like, you know, this trajectory of the company. 
Well, I think the product focus is key. I think you have to be that in today's market. And um, for me, and, and I was, as I mentioned earlier, with the, with the, it was potentially going to move to Europe on the bike side of things because things, we had been acquired and there was a big company and Pret was growing. And one of the things that really solidified my background, Pret, I'm, I'm a skier. I was a skier from before the bike world. Um, and and I said, what do I want? What do I want in the product? Because product um, is is so important, and it's I wanted something. Obviously, has to fit well, has to be light, has to have some ventilation control, and Pret met those needs. And um, that's been the mission, and that's kind of stayed very similar all along the way. We're very focused on certain range of of ski and snowboarder, and not necessarily trying to cover everybody who's on the hill. We have a, you know, a Pret isn't for everyone, but it's for that core person who really takes the sport and their equipment and they're out there, even if it's two hours a day or six hours a day, but they, skiing is an important sport to them or snowboarding. Pret is also different from the other companies that we're talking to in this series in that you aren't making bike helmets. It is focused specifically on snow sports, at least at the current moment, I guess I'd be curious to hear you talk a bit about what the pros of being in that situation are and what the cons of being in that situation are. Uh, well, the pros are obviously complete focus in your core market where you know we're not divided among what our aims and goals are. Um, but with that said, the cons are it's a, a very seasonal sport. We all have concerns about where the the industry is going with with global warming and um, skier visits and days. Although with with this past year and COVID, yeah. we've seen quite a spike in in growth of the market. We hope that continues. Uh, but from a you know business standpoint as well, is having a balance. And there's a lot of technologies and designs that really apply. As we just mentioned earlier, my background is pretty heavy in in bike as yeah. well, and Global market's a little bigger. It is a growing market. Bikes will continue to grow. Um, I think one of your, you know, and I thought you know, the the two previous uh, episodes that you did were very were very good. Hmm. Um, and people, I think it was uh, Rob might have talked about the amount of people using ski helmets has really gone up yeah. con- considerably. And on the mountain bike side, totally agree that you know people are you very rarely see anybody without a helmet on the mountain bike. I, one of my biggest concerns is a kind of a, a trend that I'm very concerned about. Park City is probably a little bit ahead of the the curve on e-bikes, and I'm seeing a trend where I see a lot of e-bike users without helmets, and I just see some danger coming down the road because I think a lot of these people aren't as active as cyclists. E-bikes have, you know, a lot of power to them, and your speeds are a little bit higher, and you know, I'm hoping that that trend doesn't stick because I, I just a lot of them are some of them are rental bikes and such or city bikes. But seeing those people out doing those types of speeds and seeing really a lot less helmet use than I do on road bikes or mountain bikes, that's a little bit of a concern. So, but I think it's also an opportunity. Are you talking about like you're seeing e-bikes on like roads, or you're saying on mountain bike trails? You're no, seeing on roads and bike paths. Okay. Uh, not on the not in the mountain bike trail. I think the mountain bike trail. I don't. It's hard to tell. Yeah. You know, if somebody's on e bike, I'm not seeing that many e bikes on a lot of the single track. But there's a lot. Park City is a great yeah uh, bike path area and on streets. 
um, and to get around. Um, you know, when I came to town, I had a brought with me a fat tire e-bike I was commuting on, and I would see one or two other e-bikes on the trail that weren't the city rental bikes. And now it is swung fully. There's many, many of both on the trails, and and when I do see people in neighborhoods, I'm seeing a lot more without helmets. So. Uh, hopefully, the industry and the, the the market will catch up, and people will be putting those on because I think it's a little more of a, a danger there with an e bike almost than a standard bike. But our like I said, jump back to your question. Our we feel there's a lot of things that we can bring to the bike side, and it's just a matter of uh, the timing and the tooling and all that that goes with it to do it in the right way. We're not going to do it hastily. It's going to be well thought out and it'll, it will probably start out in categories that really fit the Pret brand, be focused on. And I'm sure it'll be some mountain and some urban and maybe some gravel to start because that's kind of our core customer. I think the people who backcountry, side country and all that, I would probably guess 80 plus are mountain bikers, you know, so um, it really fits with the brand demographics. Well, that's an interesting teaser that Pret, we're actively looking at the bike helmet market and evaluating opportunities there. I think that provides a pretty nice segue into this whole conversation around safety standards and certifications. This is something that, you know, I'm asking each of the companies we're speaking with. And I, I guess the first thing I'll ask is if you're kind of exploring opportunities in the bike landscape, does that seem daunting or not so much to have to think, all right, we're very accustomed to working with, you know, the two current standards in snow sports helmets. Things are going to get, you know, a bit different when it comes to certifications on the bike side of things. Talk a little bit about how you're seeing that process. Well, I think our approach to the testing is we... We have a, a really good working relationship with our supplier that has in-house testing. We also work with a U.S.-based company that's a, for third-party testing, and we work with them along the way. We first, obviously, when we're going into design, our, our crew understands the, the standards that we're building for. It will be that ski in the U.S. with the uh, ASTM standard or Europe for the EN standard for for ski helm for a ski helmets. And the same thing will go with bike. I think there's a little bit evolving, especially in Europe, and I don't know where it's all laid out, but we'll address that when it comes to e-bike certification, helmets for e-biking and such, and mountains. So it's just part of the process of understanding the standards and making sure we're, uh, we're, we're incorporating that into the design of any helmets that we do. To go back on the difference in testing with ski, and I think it was brought up very well by the my stolen rod. Uh, I think one of the different approach I like to point out with Pred is we really, because we focus a lot on one of our core features that we focus on is having ventilation and uh, adaptable ventilation, especially on our better helmets. You know, the European standard has what's called a penetration, or we refer to as the dart test. Hmm. So trying to build a helmet for that'll pass all standards, certainly from a business standpoint, makes it easy. We could ship product from the U.S. to Europe, Europe back and forth. But we really try to have a lot of ventilation and adjustable ventilation. And and on the European standard, that requires a little bit extra. And we just take the time on our top helmets to do a little bit extra engineering and, and make the helmets capable of 
meeting that standard for Europe. But for the North American market, the ASTM standard, we have just a little bit more of a, a room on the ventilation story. And we think that's important because I think on the when you're moving at 30 miles an hour, you're going to get some airflow. But when you're not, and, and we really uh, have a lot of product that are favored by ski patrollers, ski instructors, you know, they're out in minus 15 to 55 degrees. And you might be geared in clothing for being on a lift that's going 20 miles an hour, but then you're stopping at an emergency scene and lifting somebody and moving something and you're building up a lot of heat and you need that to vent. It's got to come out of the top of the helmet. So we focus on that adjustability to people, to give people that um, comfort in being able to adjust to the conditions that they're dealing. Um, same for a ski instructor. You're picking up a 180 person, 180 pound person off a beginner slope. You're not moving. You're you're dressed really warmly. The other thing with our core customer base, we have a lot of backcountry, side country. We're out here in Park City, and whether it's Park City, the canyons, Snowbird, Alta, Snow Basin, this will, some of the best terrain now that the this year where the slopes were really crowded. It's a 10, 20 minute hike. I don't have a backpack with me. I don't really want to be have my hang helmet dangling. I want to open up the vents and be able to hike and not overheat. So that's one of our core things. And so we will do a little bit extra and have a couple different differences between helmets if we feel it's necessary to meet the standards of the area they're in, but also to try to reach the objectives that we want to have on the ventilation side. Yeah. <laughs> when you're talking about people hiking up, you know, booting lines inbound somewhere or in the backcountry. It brings me back a few years ago, Steve, yeah. uh, when, uh, when I have that story to tell. And it still is amazing to me, yeah, when I had my own crash and definitely would have died that day if I wasn't wearing a helmet and I was in a Cynic X. Right. The fact that that was the only time in my entire life, it was the first time in my life that I boot packed up a line wearing a helmet. I'd never done that before. Yeah, that's crazy. So wild. So yeah. anyway, nice to- That uh, was, that helmet was about as beat up as I've seen in a, you know, and that comes to, uh, that also brings to mind, we talk about fit, which is another, because people are not going to buy a helmet that doesn't fit well. Yeah. Um, and, and while fit really is important, and even a small thing like having the chin strap uh, to the right, because sometimes you might get into a tumble I assume like you did, and you might not have that big impact right there, but if you're in that tumble and the helmet moves out of position because the fit isn't really good or it's not chin strap, and then you have an impact, you're putting yourself at much more risk. So, you know, fit is comfort, but it's also part of the safety story. Yeah, I guess I should maybe say, thinking back to that day, like it makes it even nicer to be having this conversation with you since right. this, uh, yes. there may have been no conversations uh, taking place. So yeah, interesting. By the way, someone wrote in a question or comment after one of the episodes we've done in this series. I'll put it to you, see what you think. And the comment went something like this. They said, I'm not sure that I buy all of this stuff about the importance of say MIPS and you know trying to address and solve for rotational forces and rotational impacts and their point was because I think most people aren't wearing the helmet tight enough so that again the thinking was if 
and this is something that Stola had said five years ago that many Correct. of us are just wearing our helmets too loose. Right. So the question or comment was, if many of us are still wearing our helmets too loose, when there's an impact, aren't we going to get a few millimeters of shifting anyway? And yeah, you- ergo, <laughs> the the whole like advantage of the MIPS system is like, well, we're doing that anyway, in part because we're too dumb and we're wearing our helmets too loose in the first place. What say you to what I thought was actually a pretty interesting question? Well, certainly. I mean, even MIPS will... It magnifies what your hair and scalp scalp do is having some mitigation of rotation. And clearly, the science is still evolving um, uh, in in that area. But rotation, whether it be football, hockey, all those sports, um, there's just been a lot more. We have our design crew works with a top neurologist. So it is a factor. It is... uh, and it, we advocate you're getting the smallest shell that fits your head comfortably. So you don't want to have a headache. You want you want it as snug to your head because you don't want it moving around easily. Like a, in your case of your fall, you don't want to be rolling, have it roll out of position, then have an impact with a tree or a rock or something. And unfortunately, it's extremely, it's not something you can, it's really hard to test in the real world. You can't send people out and have them hit impact. So it it magnifies. Our feeling is it does help mitigate. It's depending on how tight your helmet is that may affect the how 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 much it adds to it. Clearly, a motorcycle helmet or a race car helmet where it's super tight to your head, and it's also the surface you're being contacted with. I think on bike where you're going to hit a high, you know, generally if you're going to hit the ground, it's going to be a high friction spot. Um, if you're on snow, it's a low friction area, but I, I don't think there's, it, it certainly doesn't a drawback to the helmet and, and, and it's in like every crash, it's in certain circumstances, it's going to be, uh, it can provide some help on the rotational forces. Yeah. So uh, it's just, you know, I wish I could have give you a more no. definitive, but those are, you know, what we're seeing. And like I said, it's very hard. You can't really test real, real world. So with the lab testing, we see that there are some. Uh, but we do advocate that you don't have your helmet so loose because, like I said, just just because you if you take a tumble and the first thing that you had, chances are it might be in the right position. But if you get into a tumble, your helmet may go out of position if it's too loose. Social media these days, uh, yeah. you, we can watch all these pages where we're just watching Maybe I just follow really weird social media accounts, but like (laughs) watching people blow up in crashes all the time, right? And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just had a crash a month ago, did some pretty decent damage to myself on a nothing looking crash. Yeah. Then other times you see these spectacular crashes where people kind of walk away pretty fine. So I think maybe one of the ways to think about this, the question that I just posed to you is, man, it gets weird in the real world. And so if there is a bit of a breakaway liner built in on some of this, it's yet another possible form of protection in a system when things get real chaotic and real rules just seem to be thrown out the window, right? If, right. if, if that makes some sense. So if there's yeah. not, if there's not a downside to having that system, 
And we've all seen all these crashes where the, the nothing looking things end up real bad for some right. people and the spectacular things we walk away from. I don't know. It's like, look, it's your, you know, it's your head and you're the consumer, but. Yeah. And you can't, cause I think every, you're going to find a variety of how snug a helmet is on somebody. There's a, you know, so many centimeter range between the helmets. Um, like I said, we, we try to suggest you, you take the smallest shell that's comfortable that sits on your head right. Um, so you don't have it potentially flopping around. Some people will keep it tighter. Some people will, uh, you know, sometimes wear a, an extra beanie underneath or some kind of when it's super cold and they'll change the fit of the helmet as well. But I, I, there's really, we don't see any drawback. The added weight is fairly minimal. Um, and we've um, upgraded all of our MIPS systems. In, in the original MIP systems, there were uh, kind of like a smooth Velcro patches that you had between the EPS and the, the LFL liner for MIPS. And we, we focus a lot on fit. And, and we also, as I mentioned, want you to have the smallest shell that really fits your head comfortably. And those little patches, certain customers would feel those, those spots. So we've uh, upgraded to a new version, work with MIPS to eliminate all those. And so now the, the liner that slides is right up against the, uh, the interior shape of the helmet. So there's no more uh, extra patches in there that, you know, mess up the fit. Because like I said, for, for us, we don't want you to even know you have your helmet on. It's there to protect you, but it's not part of your skiing experience. We, you have a great run. You're, you're not saying, oh, my helmet fit great at the end of it. You just don't even want to think of it. You mm -hmm. think about your worst run on the hills you know it's my edges were too sharp my boots hurt my, we don't want your helmet to ever be in that discussion yeah other than when you take a tumble at it you know it, it did its job mm -hmm. so let's talk a bit more about fit and shape this question has come in a decent amount too like where we've been like can can we have some of the folks we're talking to in this series say more about shape and you know on the one hand i could imagine a world where we have technology more readily available where if we were just like doing kind of mappings of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of different human head shapes that we might be seeing more of a standardization in terms of shapes among all the different helmet manufacturers. And yet I'm not sure that what we want is just the average. You know, talk to me a little bit about I guess one, how do you see it happening or working across multiple helmet manufacturers? Do you think we are moving toward like there's more agreement than ever? And by agreement, I mean, like if we went and took looked at eight different helmets from eight different manufacturers, we would see more similarity today than ever before or more difference than ever before. Like how, how, what are we doing here when it comes to shape and making helmets? You know, just as a subjective, I would say over time, there's some, there's a little bit of an improvement in fit over over time. I think if you go back to some of the early ski helmets, the early bike, they came with a lot of fit pads yeah. and it was, but with technology and scanning and mapping, it has improved. In general, in the helmet world, there's, uh, we were, there's essentially a, a rough called a North American head form and an Asian head form. Um, and so 
some people will start at that. So there's companies that can you can buy head forms and such and develop them, but you map them out in your CAD drawings and you have a form and we've kind of evolved it over time. We want a helmet to sit a little lower, a little bit differently on people's heads and it gets tweaked. But I am amazed there's still some helmets that I'm not sure what head form they're using and, and how the fit of it is. Because I think there's still some helmets that uh, uh, don't fit the general population as well. Uh, and no, fe- no one helmet's going to fit everybody. I mean, there is that variance. But in the North American, uh, and coming from the bike world, we have sizing, you know, the you know heights from, you know, four feet, five, whatever, to six, five. Uh, helmet helmet ranges or head sizes are not quite as varied, but we we focus on the uh, you know kind of the North American head form, and we adjust to it over time as we get more feedback from customers and and the industry. So we've we've generally pride ourselves on our fit. Our talk to our sales crew, and when somebody comes into a store, if you pop a pred on somebody's head, you have as good or better chance of that fitting really well than than a lot of the brands that are out there. But there are some other good fitting, in, depending on the brand. So um, I don't think, I think reading some of the comments on a previous one, customization, I think that'd mm. be a great goal, something we'd look at. One of the challenges are with a helmet is uh, standard and certification and testing. If you go change the thickness of foam or, or change that, it, it might fall outside of the uh, testing standard. Now, it doesn't mean there's some technology down the road that might allow some modification internally. And it's something that's uh, worth looking into. That's worth maybe hanging on to for just a second here. Customization. Some credit to those uh, who were leaving smart questions and comments to some of these past episodes. But um, it was suggested like, you know, in the world of ski boots, we have, you can do things like, you know, get a foam injected liner, right? Or we can bake liners and the rest. And so that's what you're specifically addressing when we're talking about customization. It was said, okay, if we have, you know, just like a ski boot, we have a shell there, but then we have an inner lining where we can do some customization work there. But, and what you're saying is maybe, but then we are going to run into Currently, we're going to run into difficulties in terms of passing certifications and, and, and meeting. Or be, or be concerned that you've taken it out of the yeah. realm of a safe helmet. I mean, a ski boot, you're not going to mess around with the toe and the heel that interface with the binding. That's a safety issue. You know, if you blow out the ankle or widen the cuff, you know, that's not a safety issue. It's a comfort and fit. With a helmet, um, you know, if you don't want to start with a really potentially big design or big shape that you have plenty of extra material for absorbing impact. But, you know, one of ours is to try to keep our helmet design as low profile as we can uh, for a couple reasons. One of them just from a, you know, if you're most of our, again, our customer base might be backcountry. They're going to be out there when it's storming. They want to get their hood over the helmet super, you know, easily and not have to fight it. So the low profile there is important. If you make it super big, you'll run into some functionality challenges there and, and that it'll look like a big, you know, bowling ball on somebody's head potentially. So, uh, but it's not with material changes coming down the road and everything. There's, uh, it's, it's an area that in any aspect or any business, you know, can you provide some custom customization and help the fit? Well said. And I think 
yeah, this idea of like, so yeah, we could today maybe start moving more toward that customization model. You're just saying, but today that would mean going into the higher volume shells and the rest to kind of make it harder to sort of screw up. <laughs> Potentially. Again, yeah. we, it, would, it would take a lot of testing to make sure you could, you know, make certain modifications, but yet uh, still have the impact testing and having the material, enough material in the right areas to, to be certain that the helmet still meets its safety goals. Kind of a dual part question, I guess. I'd be curious to ask where you think the biggest advances in helmet tech and helmet R&D have been made. And I guess the related question to that is predictions about where you suspect we might be seeing some of the most substantial advances. Uh, well, I think the, some of the advances have been, obviously MIPS has been one, the attention to rotational. Um, I think the, obviously the design methodology and being able to test uh, somewhat frequently with our, you know, suppliers to let you fine tune and really, you know, keep weights to a minimum and, and increase safety. Down the road, I, I see that there's a lot of uh, attention with other sports, especially there's a lot of money and a lot of science going into, like I said, I mentioned football and hockey as one. We're all aware of the concussion side of things there. Currently, most ski and bike helmets they're really to protect you in a catastrophic, you know, you know, event. There's a lot of talk and a lot of work going into those impacts that are less than catastrophic. You know, like again, football, we're very familiar. So yeah. I think over five years, we're going to see some developments, science improving materials, technology that will also give us the ability to have a better protection against some of these minor impacts you know, what should mean, you know, a better, safer helmet. So, you know, we, you know, some people are not falling a lot or you have people in events that are, that have multiple, but just something that, that really gives you protection on something less than a catastrophe where the helmet breaks because that's what's protecting you. The helmet is taking the impact and absorbing that energy, <clears throat> but then the helmet's done. But an impact that's minor may still have some little, some effect on your, uh, on your head and brain. And so being able to mitigate some of those minor ones and still meet the design and make it a functional, usable helmet, I think I would see that being something in five years that we see more of. We may still see slightly lighter, you know, better materials and such. Also, I think the other areas that we'd be looking at, not from not necessarily from a safety standpoint, but from a sustainability is is more materials that are just have a smaller footprint, things that can be recycled a little bit more easily. Currently, we try to minimize our packaging. We we do a few things, but safety takes the, you know, yeah. the the forefront. You know, we use uh, on our goggle retention devices, it's all in with little Allen screws, so it's all replaceable. We could save a few cents by riveting them on, but if you break it or damage it, the helmets would need to be tossed out. So we try to make our helmets as functional for the lifespan as we can. I think we're calling it sort of micro concussions. Is yeah. that the term that's kind of, yeah, like trying to see what we can do to both address 
or mitigate micro concussions as well as the catastrophic right, right, accidents. Right. And, yeah. and like I said, most right now where you're you're protecting on that ladder standpoint, you're you know that point there. Let's talk a bit about one or two specific Pret helmet products that you'd like to highlight and tell us what you think is particularly interesting about one or two models that Pret's currently making. Well, I would I would highlight our Cirque and Fury. You know, Cirque Corona is the, the men's women's version of it, and then the uh, Fury Vision. And why I picked those two is, and it really kind of hit me. I was scanning through our you know social media, what people post, and it was somebody in the backcountry doing a flip, and so you were just seeing the top of the helmet, and it was a I believe it was a Cirque, so. And looking at the vertical, the vents that are on the top of that helmet, when I look at the market and I, I just don't see the venting that we offer in those. And to have the, a helmet that's technically designed to, to be safe and have that much of vertical venting, we talked about that earlier, the, you know, what, what we feel are, is important, why to have that venting, because it's not necessarily when you're moving. It's when you're climbing or hiking or, or you finished a hard run and you're in a line. But but seeing it, you know, because you don't usually see skiing pictures where you're seeing just the top of the helmet from some. And it kind of just highlights the, you know, the technical effort that we put into the helmets there and the design to make that um, a safe helmet and one that meets the, the, the design goals that we set forward of, of being light, ventilated, safe, and comfortable. Uh, and then the Furies, our latest one. Uh, and that came out and that has, it's very much based on our iconic Cynic X design that most of our athletes had been using, um, but a lot of switched over. And that has an incredible amount of venting space as well that you can open, close or keep partially open. And, and when I look at the market, you know, I see those as the, the, the two that really stand out and where we're putting effort in. And, and uh, it does mean those two helmets have a slightly different design between Europe and here. They look the same, but we have some extra material and structure that, that helps us uh, get through the, avoid the, you know, the penetration test for Europe. So you're talking a lot about ventilation here. It was funny. Another comment that came in on one of these episodes was someone was like, hey, I don't want to talk about all of this other stuff, ventilation or lightweight or whatever. I just want the safest helmet. And what's funny is in all of these conversations that I'm having with all of you, right. that just feels like you can't just say that. I mean, I, it, like if you want the safest helmet in a way, go skiing in a motorcycle helmet, right? Except, but you, I say that and then I think everyone immediately understands the pros and cons of that, right? So, right. Right. So I yeah, think- I heard a great analogy about we could eliminate kind of highway deaths and make the car as safe as possible, but it would be potentially a tank. It would yeah. be super expensive, you know, or you could lower With the highway terrible speeds. gas mileage. Right. Or you could lower the highway speed to 30 miles an hour type of thing. Um, so that it's always a balance. Um, and I want to uh, pause on that just for a yeah. second, because sometimes I do think we're, some people are really quick to say, no, this is all crap. Like who makes the safest helmet? But I think your your driving analogy, yeah. So if we just said we all only drive tanks now and 
gas mileage just plummeted and we're definitely going to have to lower highway speed limits. It's like there are a range of, I would argue, important. And by the way, I would argue important variables. I would argue this more now, having been back in these conversations and really like being forced to focus and think through this. And so someone who's like, you know, another way to put it is someone who's like, I don't care about your ventilation at Pret, you know, that Pret is offering. Okay, well, then this might not be the ideal helmet for you to consider, right? There are a range of variables and factors. And what I don't hear any of the different helmet manufacturers talking about is we make the single best product for every single person out there, right? And like on the ski side, we know this, right? No single company is making the best ski for every single potential customer. It's about who you are, where you ski, what you're looking to do and the rest. But I guess I just find it that um, I think when we just want to say focus on or talk about quote unquote safety, real variables come into play here and those really do matter. What do you agree with or disagree about with what I just said there? Well, yeah. And and right now I think it's we we all have to meet a certain standard that's out there you know and there are different standards so we we don't participate in the FIA the race category we don't have a, for a helmet for downhill yeah and i think you touched on it earlier there's all different type of circumstances that can can come to a fall you can be hit by somebody you can you know go off a ledge whatever it might be um there are slower speeds, higher speeds. So the safest one would be if you really had a particular incidence that you knew you were planning for. Until there are some standards and there's more testing and understanding of how to get there, I think uh, right now with the range of the activity that you're at and covering everything from a slow to being plowed into to uh, depending on what you could hit, you know, it's it'd be hard to rate something dramatically and until somebody can come up with that i think we we do you know we design we think is you know the safest product given the technologies that we have to work with right now you know as time goes on this, this category is going to continue to improve from the other couple um, podcasts that you did on the subject there's it just shows there's uh, a lot of smart people that are working in the helmet side of things and the, the development will continue to go and things will continue to improve. And I think it's been uh, great that you included, you know, us in the conversation. You know, I just would just suggest that people wear the, wear the helmet that fits them, wear it properly. And uh, whether it's on a bike or it's on a pair of skis or a snowboard and, uh, and uh, look for uh, more to come as time comes on from uh, Pret and the industry. Very good. Well, hey, Steve, I appreciate it. Yeah, we covered some good things in this that we just hadn't touched on in in some of the other conversations. So I'm feeling pretty good here about uh, just kind of continuing with each of these conversations to hopefully just continue to flesh out all of our understandings about, you know, how this stuff is going and where we are currently and where things are headed. So thanks for contributing to our little series here. Appreciate it, Jonathan. Thanks for, uh, uh, like I said, thanks for including Pratt. Okay. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right. It is time now for our weekly What We're Celebrating segment. And this week, we are celebrating Luke Coppa because today is Luke Coppa's birthday. Happy birthday, sexy Luke. 
We are also celebrating today this category of like energizing conversations and ideas. Because in the past several weeks, I have been having a bunch of conversations like this. And when you get to talk to innovative people doing big new things, it's the best and it's inspiring. And you guys are going to be hearing about some of the conversations that I've been having soon. And also, if for some reason you like maybe were worried that we might have run out of ideas and cool new things to do here at Blister... Well, I can promise you there is no need to worry. Just stay tuned. And so to sexy Luke and to high energy people working to put out innovative new things in the world, I raise this glass of Whistlepig 10-year-old rye that has three small ice cubes in it. Because y'all know I like my 10-year-old Whistlepig with a little bit of ice. So cheers to all of you. And that then brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Steve for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to all of you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>